Welcome back. Happy New Year. Episode 26. Happy New Year. And uh, this episode, oh, James, you kick it. If you if you wanted to make any intros to 2024, please. Now's hey, the, time. hey, the pause, the uh, pause there was simply because uh, I'm 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 excited about the fact that we're um, we're on you know past number 25. I don't know, number 25 seems like a pretty pretty darn good uh, uh, role. Uh, and number 26, uh, I think of Matt's Nasland. Any uh, hockey fans out there? um and rec well and recognize uh it, it also it also recognizes my age based upon knowing Matt Naslin but uh he was number 26 played for the Montreal Canadiens and uh so that's what I think about for 26 today what do you think about when you hear 26 26 do you remember my head immediately six I don't remember no, exactly my head no my my head immediately went to being 26 years old huh. and I would have been so spent a long long time playing sport and i remember being 24 and then going back to uni and just those next two years of discovering life not like on a full-time athletic schedule and it was just like an eye-opening time just the amount of time i had study friends relationship it was kind of these like golden two years of like this is what i've been missing out on (laughs) (laughs) so that's where my head immediately went just to some like great years as a uni student without like training twice a day and traveling and all that nice nice i do remember yeah uh, a parallel story for myself at 26 it was the year 2000 uh, so when we all got past the fact that uh, the world wasn't going to explode um, and computers were still going to work, um, I do remember that as well. It was a, it was a good time. Uh, uh, concept of freedom and having lots of physical ability and um, yeah, trying to hone my trade at that period of time um, and get better at it at 26. So yeah, it was good. 26, good number. Yeah, it was. And uh, so this episode is really a topical discussion based off of an article James had actually shared with me in the cut. And it centers around this notion of unstructured or unsupervised play with kids um, and the the rise of this hypervigilance within mm. parents. So I'll just give a quick overview of the article just so that I guess it gives you a little bit of context. Um, it actually looks at another new article in the Journal of Pediatrics um, arguing that this hypervigilance might be, I guess, contributing to a mental health crisis in children and teenagers, uh, which they say has been declining since the 1960s, which actually is uh, an episode that we discussed, James, I forget, was on another article, but I'll put the number in the show notes because that's consistent with another topic that we discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, And this hypervigilance has really become prevalent uh, and a prevalent trait amongst American parents transcends race and class and really is shaping, I guess, public behavior to avoid being perceived as careless with that notion of being a careless parent and that worry and fear of being judged by other parents as well. Uh, It also highlights the importance of unstructured play and independent mobility for children uh, and children's well-being, um, suggesting that parental intervention in children's autonomy may actually harm their emotional health. Um, it also says that American parents often share, and this goes back to that previous point, a sense of overwhelm and conscientiousness about parenting challenges, and they're using it as a common ground in in social situations. And then it kind of ends to discuss, which is another point we've made in an earlier episode, the need for urban infrastructure reform uh, and a grassroots movements to support unsupervised play uh, without you know parental supervision. Yeah, I just recognize that we've been discussing a lot of those things uh, for the solutions since we started. It's kind of kind of ironic, I guess, in that I've, I only recognize that as you said it. You know, like I didn't pick that up in the article, so that was interesting. Um, yeah, and it's a it's a big. Um, it's not that we mean to try to find all the solutions to fix everything in, on this podcast or for today specifically in that, but. Um, it is a different angle than what we've done for 25 episodes, uh, just based upon your front end there on the concept of hypervigilance and the, I guess, the effects of how parents are going to perceive that and how other parents are going to perceive that. 
and as well what it's doing to the young person, right? Um, I think that uh, it's going to be difficult for us, but I don't mind weeding through that, uh, the fact that we're going to generalize a lot of things. Like when we say American kids, you know, like that's such a such a variety, uh, geography, uh, one parent, two parents, um, social class, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that largely dictate, you know, their experiences before we get to these concepts of what's going to fix that or what the definition is of unsupervised play. And, um, uh, the, uh, just a reminder too, and I think that could have been the episode you were trying to, you're trying to think about. We, uh, uh, we used, uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff's book, uh, coddling of the American. Yeah. Yeah. We use that as a stepping stone to have this similar kind of conversation, but we did it in the, in the, in the, uh, world of, uh, what we called safetyism. Um, and that came about with the with the the intersection of uh, and so to be short, how they discovered this was young females harming themselves at a really alarming increased rate. OK, so then they were like, OK, what the hell is happening? And then they saw this intersection of uh, these, you know, digital natives um, growing up in a world of uh, self-perception and perception um, and how to deal with challenges, et cetera, in a virtual world. And it became, you know, <laughs> well, I, I still think it's the, it's, it's a horrible social experimentation that's, that's landed us at the same place with us talking about, well, what's the mental health issues that are going on with young people. Um, so that's the, the frame that we took before with safetyism. But uh, for today, yeah, let's, um, let's start it with, uh, I guess, a conversation between you and I, on just what unsupervised play is as a like a define not not what the article says Daniel but what what uh, we define unsupervised play is so what's what do you think of right away when you hear uh, unsupervised play and then we can jam on that yeah I think context is important as well like you said one parent two parent um, geography so my mind immediately goes to my childhood uh, single parent household uh, my mother was you know, often working. So you kind of got that independence at an early age. You're often left at home. Uh, growing up in Australia, I was actually fortunate enough to live uh, like that backed onto a reserve or very, very large parkland. Uh, and my neighbors were three boys around a similar age. And we basically, that was our playground. We just had a huge area of like forest and hills and just like a space in which we could explore and that was completely open to us. Uh, and I, I, when I th think about it and reflect on it, it was such a important time. I, I imagine for my development because I had to, you know, navigate terrain. I had to go out, you know, into the woods. It was kind of scary when you're a young boy and, you know, maybe there were bigger kids and you'd play, you know, Tiggy or um, Red Rover. I don't know if that was a game or so you kind of had to explore that, I guess, physicality of growing up and navigating different areas, but without, and, and it was nice to not have that parental like supervision at all times because you felt that freedom to express yourself without, I don't want to say like a fear of consequence or if you were going to do the wrong thing or, you know, if you went to an area that maybe you shouldn't have, it was kind of, you were able to push the boundaries of what you thought were, I guess, acceptable limits so it's like oh i probably shouldn't go into this area you know like maybe your brain saying oh this is a little bit hairy it's like no let's go and test this and figure this out and kind of overcome these little obstacles you don't think anything of it at the time but when you reflect on it it's like wow that was probably a lot more meaningful than what you give it credit for if that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah i don't know what comes to mind did, uh, you, did your you parents know. get any um any slack were uh, People thought that you're going to be eaten by crocodiles or uh, wallabies. I don't even know what the animals are in, in your backwoods. but <laughs> Yeah. Oftentimes there would be flooding, which would bring in, uh, Aussies would know this, like red belly black snakes and a lot of poisonous, dangerous animals. Uh, yeah, so there are a number really of dogs that would get bit and die from snake bites. Mm -hmm. uh, I had multiple injuries. I remember running around in long grass and I had a stick go completely through my foot. Uh, that was probably the point at which they tightened the leash a little bit because we would just run barefoot, yeah. like kind of wild animals. But again, also not a great outcome, but good in a development setting because you learn, okay, 
this is a terrain where I probably need to wear, you know, proper shoes, proper clothing. It, it kind of, you know, learn through failure, but yeah. you get knocked down and you figure out, okay, that was dumb. Uh, you change those behavioral patterns and you kind of move on. Yeah. Uh, so I think they probably scolded themselves as parents more so than other parents, because I think it was just generally more accepted back then, you know, let them run around, let them get outdoors. You know, if it, if it meant that they were out of the house, not kind of causing a ruckus and it was beneficial for everyone. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's a couple of things I think about there of, uh, cause it, another way to, an interesting thing is that you're reflecting on that right now, but you didn't think about that at the time, you know, that's, an that's an interesting point, right? It's like at the time, um, the, this is the area that I don't want to solely focus on today, but I think it's something around, you know, what are the things that we do and what are the things that we're responsible for, for the choices that we make that can lead us into, you know, quote unquote, and this is where I want to, um, isolate what I got from your point beautifully done. I didn't, I didn't ask you to do it that way, but I wrote down right in front of me here, the definition that I had for unsupervised play was physical challenges in nature with friends. And, um, you just highlighted that you just said it indirectly and for multiple different ways. And, um, but I, I do want to pick on the point that, you know, when a, when a child is doing that, they don't, they don't see it as that, right. It's not, they can't describe it. If you know what I'm saying, when a child is nine and you're doing that, right. Feral, mm -hmm. uh, feral, you know, high threshold monkeys, like you were back in the day, um, you you, you don't know that you're doing unsupervised play, right. So we got to think about, well, what are the things that, that result in that? And some of the things that we can take and use your personal perspective, right. Uh, sometimes with a single parent, it does, you know, push the envelope for, a speed towards independence, right? Regardless of what, you know, mom's working, I'm at home, you know, it's 2 p.m., I'm done school, uh, or 3 p.m., she's not home till 6, you know what I'm saying? So you got to figure it out. So, you know, and and I guess in society, we can look at that and then say, well, what are the things that we can do in order to create that atmosphere so the kid has no idea that it's called unsupervised play but allows them to do it? And this is where we'll probably end up by the end you know, getting, you know, of course, pessimistic on technology and modernity and just looking mm -hmm. around going, where's the chance of that happening again, you know? And no, I, like, like the article, you know, all people want to focus on today is like the safetyism aspect and the overparenting and et cetera. And we're forgetting about that, 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 you know, what Daniel's young brain was experiencing. And we're forgetting to ask, how can we get more kids to experience that, right? And without even calling it unsupervised play. Yeah, I have another another memory that came to me as well, which was which I just think in this, I guess, talking about that parental overwhelm and conscientiousness and hypervigilance, I remember being fascinated with gemstones. Hmm. And so even from a, a very early age, there was a lot of glass in this, you know, um, reserve kind of foresty area that we were playing in. But to me, the shattered glass pieces were like gemstones. So I used to spend, me and my neighbor, we would spend hours collecting glass, like shards of glass, different colors, like, you know, the, the kind of most more obscure colored, the rarer in our yeah. heads. We would, yeah. we, would, we would pick it up in bottles, we'd take it back to the house and wash it and then like decorate it. So what today might be, it's like, what your seven-year-old's running around picking up broken glass, like barefoot in a in the woods. It's just like that is just alarm bells going off left, right, and center. But what what to me was almost like when I think back was like an expression of creativity. This was like to me, this was like beautiful and fun and a thing that I did with my mate, albeit kind of a strange thing as a young kid. But you can see how quickly under 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 a supervised watch, you'd be like, "Don't do that. That's yeah. you know." You immediately quell that kind of fun activity and this fun thing that you would do after school. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as you were mentioning that, I think about, you know, what's a, what's one of the things that create the big largest limitations to that. And I think we always land on this of uh, saying, well, 
you know, if we're going to make a dent in uh, youth physical activity, um, we got to get a whole bunch of adults first, you know, on board with the idea. Because that's what I thought about when uh, you were saying your experiences is that, uh, and do you feel it's the same way based upon your most recent uh, experience that a long, lot of time adults get in the way? They, adults get in the way of this happening. Do you think that's the case? I think I like again, and I'll, I'll certainly qualify. I'm not a parent and don't have, I guess, skin in the game. But just as an observer, it certainly feels that you would. Um, yes, is the the short answer. I think that you are constantly surrounded by people, or there's that fear of being judged of you know what's acceptable versus what's not acceptable. You know. I, I've been in London recently with nieces and nephews and, um, you know, urban area, lots going on. You know, there's certainly less less areas where you can just kind of cut them loose to run around and explore. And you certainly have to have far more of a watchful eye. And yeah. I imagine as a parent, it would be very, very hard to find that sweet spot between yeah. creating boundaries, which you yeah. feel that they can play and explore and experience safely because it, there's definitely a finer line between exiting that boundary and it becoming uh, negligent or certainly a far higher risk of there being some sort of an incident. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I think that is that would be the tricky part Yeah. as a parent. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, um, I guess I just wanted to reduce it down. Uh to kind of like pick on one thing, you know, I mean, there's sort of lots of things, but um, I'll take the angle uh, for argument's sake that uh, it is always the parent's fault. Um, and I'll just take that angle for today specifically just to see if we can, you know, work our way out of it or find different, you know, way of solutions to that. But I'll just give you another, I'll give you a personal example um, that, uh, and I just think of your neck of the woods because we went to New York last uh I think it was, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving, but it was October and we stayed uh, like two blocks uh, away from Central Park. And uh, my my oldest daughter couldn't travel with us. Uh, she had an ear infection. And so she had to wait another like 36 hours or something before she could travel. And so Chloe and I, my youngest, ended up landing in Manhattan, uh, getting into our apartment. And then this is this is my point is that it's just written in my brain right? That for all the activities that we're going to do, um, whether you want to call it forceful or it's just choices we make, or it's the decisions that we make, uh, something that Chloe and I did was I told her right from the get-go, as soon as we land, which was mid-afternoon, I want to immediately make my way to Central Park and walk around as much as I could before we have supper, before we kind of have dinner. Um, and you see, it's just that it's as simple as that. It's that decision right there. Um, so people could see walking around Central Park um, as nothing. But you got to you got to back up and say the parent will lead that if left to their own devices, i.e. It's like, oh, well, what are you what do you want to do? What do you think a 14 year old young female wants to do when they, you know, based upon all the things that their peers are doing, all the social pressures of what they should do exactly with their time, they're not going to think of that, right? So to, to find a nice balance in that, Chloe was like, yeah, um, let's do that. Um, but I want to, you know, it was just something that she wanted to do. I, mean, I don't know why, maybe she pictured it from, you know, watching TV or whatever. She wanted to sit down with a, a notebook and write, in Central Park, right? It's like the classic scene in her head. Anyways, right? Sit on the grass up at the big rock area, mm. open space. Uh, and you see how we can combine those things, right? Where we can walk somewhere, get the Central Park. So anyways, I, uh, what I'm highlighting there is that the parents do have a, a monstrosity of responsibility to set up the situations to get those kids into those areas of physical challenges in nature, um, and then you can just build upon them, right? Back to your story, as I said, it may have just like flew, it may have just landed in your lap and you didn't even know what was going on, but it's like, you know, you benefited and now you can speak about it, right? Et cetera. 
But if we're going to do this, we're going to do this uh, reformation of sorts and a rehabilitation of the whole system, then I think we do have to talk about the uncomfortable stuff of parents mm -hmm. not having the technical skills, the competency, or the wherewithal. Honestly, they don't want to do it. They don't want to land in Manhattan and go, you know what? I want to walk for two and a half hours around Central Park. That's not what they're, it, that's not what they're thinking. So um, I think it does start with that. Now, I'm not going to, we'll, which we'll probably discuss a little bit, I guess, with the pros and cons of it and, you know, it actually existing and how we can fix it. You know, sure, geography has a has a big part to play with that, right? Where you live and et cetera. Um, but uh, I just want to I just want to pick on parents for today to kind of or adults in general, I guess. For that. No, I think it, and I think it's just being conscious of it as well. And if we like, you know, talking about hypervigilance and I guess so people are aware, it's really that that state of excessive alertness. So like heightened sensitivity, uh, an intense watchfulness and monitoring of one's surrounding. And I think that's really important because it. I certainly know from experience that the way my parents spoke about a different area defined how I ultimately thought about it. So a classic one is is New York. You hear so many people and, and so many from friends and that have parents and young kids. It's like, oh, well, aren't you worried about, you know, the crime? And aren't you worried about the all the, I guess, concentrated stories that you get in the news about all these terrible things that happen when realistically these things are happening at the same rate everywhere. But when you cram, you know, 8 million people in a small space and then 8 more million people that come in, the likelihood of there being something terrible that happens is just, you know, it's, it's consistent. But I think young people pick up on that heightened sense of, you know, say fear and, and intense watchfulness that they now have that in their system. So when they enter environments that are similar, they're coming from a place of, I guess, fear and, and this defensive kind of mindset instead of it being this exciting new place that, you know, they want to step into and explore and run around. And yep. obviously there needs to be a level of parental guidance yep. if they're stepping into an area which they don't have, yep. you know, cognitive or physical ability to to really navigate properly. But at least they're coming in with that curiosity. At least they're coming in with a mindset where this could be a really exciting adventure as opposed to, well, watch out, there are so many things that could hurt me, harm me, and so I need to be protected. Yeah. And I just think you know, there's pros and cons to that, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't want that to be uh, a young person's initial outlook going into a new setting. Yeah. Yeah, well, in in that in that case, it's the way I see it is it's still uh, a lack of competency and intellectual prowess on behalf of the parents to just take just take extra steps, right? To think about what you just said, right? So, uh, oh my gosh, you know, don't let your kids uh, walk around with their friends in Philadelphia because I saw this thing on YouTube around you know this area of Philadelphia that's just horrible, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's how decisions are made, but that's a horrible decision. That's a horrible decision, right? Meaning that you didn't, and what I meant by the intellectual prowess is that you got to take time to look further into that. Um, first of all, you know, back to your point, it's actually factual that less of those crime and less of those stupid situations are happening, right? If any any quote unquote situations are happening, it's 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 an isolated scenario of let's just call it bad behavior, and it was going to happen anyways, right? But of the quote unquote you know white van kids getting pulled in, that shit is is archaic, right? That shit's archaic, and so but but how do you overcome that? You can't just stop at thinking, oh my gosh, like I can't allow that to happen. You actually have to like walk through it. Like we walked through some, uh, let's call it um, more challenging um, area, area from lower Manhattan up to where we were staying. Um, and we thought about it afterwards. We're like, and it was good for my kids to experience it too. They're like, it wasn't that bad. So what they mean by that is that, you know, what they had in their perceptions or people told them or what they read is like, is that real? And they got to see, it's like, it's not real. That's a false thing. Um, and what you're hitting on there is, and I noticed it in your notes for 
what what makes people make these decisions is fear right mm. with these fear is a major driver right and listen even back to the you know research that Jonathan Haidt did and you know how they collaborate on all their efforts you know you got to be empathetic to the parent that says that or because they know someone right because you know everyone now on social media we know someone of kid that a kid that was taken right it's like you know, remember the milk box episodes back in the 70s or 80s, right? Would freaked everyone out. And it started this whole safetyism concept uh, and took away this unsupervised play kids opportunity because parents were just going to helicopter based upon it. Um, yeah, you just got to recognize that that shit is false. And you got to recognize when you're being sold fear, right? Um, you know, through the COVID pandemic, you know, how did they make people make decisions? based upon what they were supposed to do for their health, right? The government scared the shit out of people. They used fear tactics, right? You will die or you will kill your grandparent, dot, 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 right? What is that? That's fear mongering, right? Um, how do we create fear? You know, in a, I guess I shouldn't be giggling at it, but in a uh, religious connotation, you know, fear is a monster, you know, tool that's used in order to make, quote unquote, kids be moral or do moral things, right? You will, you know, quote unquote, go to hell, you're going to end up having these issues, right? Um, so if you if you think that if you can't see, number one, that you're uneducated, and you can't see that you're being pulled by fear, then I guess that's the first step, right? You got to be like, actually, am I being am I making these decisions based upon being scared of these things? And if you are, then maybe just sit with it for a while and see that you may have, to your worrying, insecurities based upon, um, you know, a story you've been told, but it's actually not the case, you know? Yeah. And especially when it comes to getting kids out and about and, you know, going to these playgrounds, exploring their world, you know, it's like they have to discover the edges of the map. And unless they do, or if, if they're being fed that information where it's like, no, don't go here, don't go there, don't do this, don't do that because of, you know, the potential risk associated, then they're going to be dependent on a protector whenever they need to leave the house. So what will they default doing? Well, I'll just stay in. It's unsafe out there. As opposed to helping them explore the edges of the map, you've then unlocked you know, their world to go and explore. What does that create? More independence. What does that give them? More confidence. So all of a sudden they found this thing that's really exciting and fun that's now far more interesting and entertaining than sitting at home on the couch on their phone. You know, you can see how that ripple effect starts to, or that momentum starts to build when it's coming from a place of, yep, there are these things that we risk, but let's go out and let's, let's, let's explore that. Let's find the edges of the map so that you understand like, hey, this is the commute to school. This is how you get to the playground. This is the... And it's like, oh, okay, this isn't too scary. I know how to do this. Oh, okay. I know I know how to, yeah, that's left turn, right turn. Oh, we, we're so close. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you feel good? You want to do that? Go for it. Yeah. I think that's such a, that feels like a, a really important step. And I, I certainly know that from, from my childhood, whenever my parents expressed that level of hesitancy or watch out or be careful, it immediately seeded that like, okay, well, that is bad. That equals danger. But, you know, as I got older, and kind of either had to experience it or kind of put myself in the situations where you kind of explored those areas, you quickly kind of go, okay, this isn't too bad. You learn how to avoid certain high risk situations, or you learn to spot, you know, potential, the potential likelihood of you running into, you know, an unscrupulous character or, you know, okay, yeah. it's 12 o'clock. I'm 12 p.m. I, I'm I, sh I should be asleep, but I'm probably not going to go to the park now. You know, you, you figure it out. It's just kind of starts to become basic common sense or basic instinct. Yeah, the, there's a there's a, a break line too that Melissa Gutron and I discuss uh, more so for adults, but the essential differences in males and females to risky behavior, right? And what you just said, you know, because for I I would. I'm not, uh, I don't have to clear my throat on this reality that uh, there's a lot of young males that will search out that style of behavior as a form of a physical competition or a challenge, or I bet you can't kind of concept that in the essential differences between young males and young females, you're going to see that 
you know, on a bell curve distribution different for males for that. So that's something we got to take into consideration as well as we start to like move towards these solutions based upon just allowing that leash off, quote unquote. And what does that look like? Uh, also, I, I guess I'm not sure what word I think oh, you said playground. You know, you and I uh, seem to or we just seem to get into from our both of our personal stories um, you in the backwoods and uh, my daughter in Central Park. And we forgot that there are actually, you know, systems that are set up that, again, just so we don't forget, could could fix all of these things where remember our, you know, 90 minutes Monday to Friday in, quote unquote, the the, the gymnasium outdoor area. Uh, this if it was implemented in form of some form of education and I won't say public school, but any form of school right for kids. Um, I would think that that could be uh, an obvious answer and a solution to this whole thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely. And we don't have to come up with like, oh, well, geez, I don't have a backyard like Daniel does. It's like, well, you got space uh, for ninety minutes to explore and uh, do stupid, risky, you know, shit for ninety minutes. And at the end of it, you know, you're exhausted. You mentally, you feel really good. You know. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, I think that's where the parental guidance comes in is it's like, you know, if you're geographically located, we don't have access to the, you know, big park or big playground or, you know, the easy spaces where kids can just go and cut loose. And it's like up to, I believe it's up to the parent to get creative, to show kids ways in which they can physically express themselves that are, that is close to the house, that is close to the nest, that is you mean safe. If they don't have it in school. If they don't have it in school as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So I was, sometimes schools so I agree are... with you that some, you know, you know, here's the reality, you know, what you and I come up with, the chance of that, you know, growing and becoming a reality in the future is zil, is like zero, right? So uh yes, I I would agree that, you know, it's not going to happen in school, but it doesn't mean you and I can't come up with the idea that would fix all that shit. That's what I'm saying. So on the back end of it, yeah, it, real, realistic it's not going to happen. But then you see what I'm saying? Then we got to leave it to the parents. And we're, you know, where are they going to find time to do this? Mm -hmm. I, I just think about that, right? Like, if it's not up to, quote unquote, you, and you in your situation, as I said, like you became feral <laughs> in your situation. You're like, I want to get out, freedom, play, run around. I got this time. No parents are around, right? And you stick, you know, a stick through your foot, right? I want more kids to get in that situation. But I'm just hesitant to to look to a future if it's not happening in a school situation. Uh, I don't see parents having time to develop this and to allow, quote unquote, the leash off if it's, yeah. if it's quote unquote, at 330. Right. And, you know, what else comes up here is like the in comes the dark sports medicine coach. Right. Is like, well, I got an answer for you. Put your kid in sport. And I, I don't even want to I don't want to go in that lane. Yeah, and that's where I, I guess that think local, act global, having community-based programs that facilitate kids to run feral yeah. after school yeah. is would be phenomenal. Well, maybe this is an event. It was second to... nature. That was just where they that was where they transitioned to. You know, yeah, three thirty well, school bell rings. They're in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's an addendum to our uh, proposal. Is that uh, when we land up on the steps of the Capitol? Um, not screaming, you know, illegitimate elections, but instead saying something like, you know, kids need to move more. Um, and it would be a solution and an answer to a whole bunch of things. Besides the 90 minute proposal that we'll have Monday to Friday, we'll also say this is the investment in infrastructure that we need in communities. And it's not just a playground, right? It actually has to be a concept and a design and people and humans all working together to ensure that quote unquote happens, right? Mm. And I think we just need to envision a whole new future that's not uh, only, I'm not saying without, that's not only skate parks, basketball nets, Jesus, pickleball nets, like not only those things. Adele's uh, better now, it's taking over pickleball. <laughs> Don't get me started, bro. <laughs> Don't get me started. And we, oh, space for e-bikes, like don't get me started. So we, we need to come up with, though, a community area, right? And it can be winter, it can be four seasons, whatever. And it's got to be more than those stupid, you know, six uh, body weight 
you know, fit walk areas that are set up. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be more than that. Um, and cause, because a, a nine-year-old kid, right. Who doesn't have the backwoods in Australia, right. Him and his buddy are not going to do the, the six stations of the cross around the park. Right. So mm. there has to be something on that proposal that we come up with besides the 90 minute, five times a week at school of the gymnasium concept for what you've mentioned. What do you think about as what that could look like for the community concept? Right. And, uh, um, I mean, I'd love it to be a North Korea style, you know, you're forced to do it, which is a, you know, a position I've taken humorously, you know, for a long period of time, but, uh, what's your thoughts on that? What that would look like? Yeah, it, de it definitely feels that the mindset, like culturally as well, that like kids aren't going to voluntarily opt in. I think some would, but there wouldn't be mass adoption because it's just, yeah. you know, people are used to being on the phones and being indoors, going indoors. It's just like the natural choice, it seems. Yeah. So definitely having programs designed to make it as fun and as unstructured play like it's got to feel like play like they can really opt into an avenue that interests them not just that you have you know one option that's going to cater to the more creatives the other one option that's just going to cater to the real sporty uh, inclined kids i mean that's a really hard and difficult problem to solve but authoritarian in so much as it's like well school ends you're doing this for 90 minutes after school no matter what so let's let's come up with a, a good strategy that makes this fun and enjoyable that yeah. you can buy into yeah. i think that's the problem to solve where you can create enough optionality that's going to cater to as many kids as possible but not so many that's just logistically impossible to facilitate yeah and I yeah. think that's why, like, again, I'm just reflecting on growing up in Australia where you're so yeah. blessed. It's just, you know, I, I can remember surfing, you know, in an early afternoon on a rare occasion and there'd be this eight-year-old kid who runs out across, you know, shell-covered rocks and times a set and jumps in over a six-foot set, paddles out, and then just sits next to me. I'm just like, wow, like that's independence. Like that's confidence. Exactly. This little, exactly. it's, it's like you yeah. don't know how good that is for a kid just to be able to do that after school like the difficult thing is calling him in for homework you know <laughs> like he's not coming yeah. in yeah and so let's be clear um uh I, well specifically for me i'm not focused on those kids uh or the you know um you know i'm not i'm not concerned about me i'm not concerned about my kids or i'm not concerned about i'm concerned about the kids that want to experience that that I know innately could benefit from experiencing that and all the pros of the unsupervised play. Um, and I don't want it to happen through sport. Um, I see a lot of that. I see a number of my daughter's friends who <clears throat> are quote unquote forced to be a part of sport simply because they will not quote unquote come up with because their parents won't come up with it and society's not coming up with it. Um, a, as I said, as this, this differential between males and females for self-exploration and discovery. So you and I need to think about, well, what does that look like for males and females at, you know, just, just think about this, you know, uh, picture a woods and a, and a grassy area before the woods, and you don't know what's in the woods and you have a lineup of 500 uh, 250 males, 250 females, all at nine years of age, right? And you're just like, you're left to their own devices, right? What's the percentage of males and females that are going to run towards those woods to figure out what's inside and get themselves into trouble, right? I would say 98% of all the males will just end up wandering over there and doing stupid shit, right? And the females may be more, more hesitant to me. So if you disagree with that notion, then, well, you're not you're not a parent uh, and you haven't actually worked with kids and you haven't done some technical study and education based upon those physical expressions. But the point I'm picking out there is that we do need to come up with for males and females. And I'm not just doing that as a binary to kind of think about it, but you're not going to get all, you know, all tides, rise, whatever the boats rising, et cetera, whatever the saying is, you're not going to get everything moving if we don't come up with that full on solution for all kids 
Because otherwise, I can just see what will end up happening. And this is my pessimistic tone that will come out. Boys will end up playing video games and girls will end up, you know, doing makeup. That's it. It's just, it, you're just stuck on. And I just use those ex as examples, but it's not far from those things. Right. And what do those things both involve? No movement, no physical challenges out in nature. So if you and I are going to say that, we have to remember that we are both males that would would are, are we sense that we would really love everyone to experience what we experience with that feral unsupervised play atmosphere because we know it can rise so many different things but we have to think about it in the modern context of the tr the challenges around providing that as a like 3 p.m to 5 p.m quote unquote you know uh solution because we don't have the mm -hmm. woods you know we don't have the woods. So we got to come up with community <clears throat> programs that are quote unquote quasi supervised, I guess. I guess that's where I'm, I guess where I'm falling into a, a crock here. Did you, did you, are you seeing that where it's like, well, mm -hmm. we, we want unsupervised play, but here's the reality. If you unsupervise with the choices that young kids have available today, you know what they're going to do? Video games or makeup tutorials. That's it. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like ways to think about it, you know, for the quote unquote male masculine, you're setting up a, a, a 90 minute exercise, making it competitive. There's got to be some element of competition, mm -hmm. you know, yep. individually. So it's like, yep. Hey, there's this course, this is obstacles, you know, do this. You've got to get through five times and then you can leave fastest ones. We're going to, you know, ride down the board. We're going to do it. You know, I feel like, instinctively a lot of young boys will just like go oh yeah you know they're like yeah. even though if they don't it's like oh, i'm not really interested it's like okay we're gonna compete we're gonna race we're gonna you know you do this five times and you can leave yeah and it's like cool and then with I agree. Uh, simple the for feminine simple. yeah it'd simple. be more uh problem solving collaborative and then challenging themselves so they get to work in the group problem solve overcome an obstacle uh, but there's also some sort of self-challenge where they can feel as though, okay, this is where I was last week. This is where I am this week. I overcame. I'm a nudge further. Um, I think those would just be two easy ways to bucket that instinctively spoke to them in a way they would opt in. Yeah. I would add uh, things like creativity and com yep. community, uh, higher forms of communication, um, expression on a different level. Um and yeah, in the male's boat, um, I guess, you know, I guess I'm getting to a, a solution there of coming up with whatever that looks like. It's going to have to be different for males and females. And for males, I'm not too concerned if, quote unquote, you just set it up as like a physical challenge, overcome this obstacle, go for it. I think most and higher percentages will end up being OK for females. Yeah, we're going to have to get creative, quote unquote, to come up with that, you know, unsupervised concept. But, you know, still it's still designed to allow them to do those things that are characteristic, characteristically different between females and males. Um, yeah. who are, quote unquote youth still in this bucket we're talking about, which is young people being out in nature, doing physical challenges. Um, and now that we're at that, that, at that point, just because you asked it, uh, I couldn't really come up with any cons to building this idea of unsupervised play. Did you think of any, as you asked that question to yourself? Of what it looks like or what would you know one of the questions was what's the pros and cons of unsupervised play i didn't know if you uh had any yeah yeah i i think um obviously physical health social and emotional development pros, oh, going through pros. yeah or oh, cons yeah yeah pros well, i guess it's in endless. It, yeah endless cons i guess is just that it's a high it has a high risk profile and and being okay with that is something or, or learning how to mitigate that. Like if you are, if it's unstructured from a parent's perspective, in your mind, there's a yeah, higher perception. risk. Yeah, the, the, the risk perception is higher. Yeah, yeah. And so that would be a drawback where it's having to give a little bit of leash and autonomy, yeah. which seems very counterproductive to your wiring as a parent or yeah. a protector or a guardian. Yeah. And I think that is the con from a parental parental side. Yeah, I agree. So in the rehabilitation of it, uh, there would be a real tough time of educating people and getting them competent enough in their brain for the perception of it. 
Because exactly. I, I don't know if you agree. I, I'm I'm still saying that it's not unsafe, right? Sorry, yeah. it's it's completely safe, but we have to take into consideration that people's perception of the safety is there, and I agree with that. So yeah, and could be a con I mean, of proposing mm -hmm. that idea. Which ties into, I guess, one of those things that it brings up in the article, which again, I don't have experience as a parent, but have kind of had discussions around it with friends and family. And, and James, you could probably weigh into that is that social comparison and that perceived expectation between parents or communities of parents where it's like, you're letting your kid do that. Like, wow, that's bad parenting, you know, yeah. how much that influences decisions that parents make and yeah. how challenging that is to navigate. Like it's, it's obviously a big, big thing. Yeah. I, I would make a statement that may upset a number of people, but I think a lot of parents know that it's safe, but they prevent it from happening. They actually don't want their kids uh, for whatever nefarious or weird intentions. Uh, they don't want them uh, tripping up. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really think that's the case. Uh, their own self, their own insecurities for themselves. Um, their own issues that they have that were never resolved. Um, they don't want their kid to outshine anyone or them or et cetera. I think it's a, I think it's a lot of that, uh, the way that I see it. Um, and uh, I, I think it's horrible. Um, I think it's uh, you, you really got some shit to do with the improvement of your parenting. Um, but it, and it largely has to take place internally in the parent, right? They have to go, you know what? I'm I'm uh, creating this projection to my kids for what reason, right? Uh, and the reason is a bunch of different weird shit, control, uh, fear, uh, whatever. Uh, but, you know, I think it starts there. Um, and I think in a, as a generalized statement, a large percentage of parents today, I think they thwart this opportunity for their kids to have that happen. Um, and so, yeah, inside of that, if you heard it that way, I am, that's what I'm saying. I think there's actually nefarious intentions of not allowing it to happen more times than them not being competent enough of that, that happening. Right. And then you have a whole host of parents who are never even think about these things. And they're just like, oh, sport is going to take care of it. Right. While they drink champagne coolies on a Saturday morning in a chair, watching their kid play soccer. Right. So it's the that's why I didn't want the the sport thing to enter into it because you still have those parents um, who don't want to like let the leash off. They just have this very easy solution in sport set up already for their kids to, you know, quote unquote, oh, you're going to learn a lot about life by being in sport and burnt out by the time you're 18. Uh, the same story that's been told, you know, over and over. Um, so that was on the back end of us trying to come up with uh, that was that was us on the back end of trying to come up with um, cons for, was it cons right? for yeah the cons, cons? for it. I and I I couldn't find any, but the to add to your point of it, um, I think that uh, it's the uh, it's the per it's it's not just the perception, it's uh, people it's people discussing this topic. I think with the discussion of the topic, uh, you once you know it and once you know, like once you hear, hear us talk about it, a parent or a future parent will never be able to unknow what they just heard, right? Mm -hmm. They will, they will, they, cause they'll, they'll, they're going to make decisions when the kid is two and when the kid is three, when the kid is four, right? And then when their other sibling is there, they're going to make decisions and they're going to be like, oh man, there you go. Like I am scared shitless to allow my kid to like try that little thing at the playground. And they forget that 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 kid is sensing that fear. They they see the fact that you're not, you know, allowing them to do that specifically. And it's not going to set up what you had, Daniel. It's not going to set up that kid that was eight, I forget the age, jumped across the rocks and went in and did a did a set. Um, you know, it's not going to it's not going to end up happening that way. And so again, it's going to come back to um, the parents having responsibility and knowledge to just allow the leash to happen as many times as possible, recognizing, yes, that everyone around you is going to say that, you know, you should be very fearful of this, 
but knowing full well, you're going to have to do the extra work to actually see if you got to be scared because it's actually not true. And then we can set up, you know, quote unquote, the other things in the schools, post community programs, or maybe there's a parent out there who's like, yeah, you know what? I see it happening. I saw it happen to my kids and I'm tired of it. And so I'm going to do something about it. And you're going to become an activist and someone who's going to want to make things happen in your local community. Um, and you're going to come up with things that are not a basketball court or a pickleball court or et cetera, where you're going to have all the kids, just droves of them, males and females from 10 to 13 years of age, just, just like running to this place after school because there's so much, so much enjoyment, physical challenge, communication, you know? Yeah. How do you think about increasing that independence or how, how did you think about increasing independence? So let's say you've got a young kid. Okay, you you show them how to walk to the local playground. You know they know how to navigate that. Okay, now they've learned to ride a bike. Now they want to ride to and from school. Now they're a little bit older. They want to you know how what's a good framework to help give a little bit more of that leash and and give a little bit more independence because obviously there's going to be you know spheres of of boundary like a boundary in which you have to kind of draw as a parent because it's you know, it would be unsafe for them to step out of that. At what point can you start expanding uh, those boundaries? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. I, I think of the word diversity um, and variety um, as a form of adaptation and improvement for that. I don't I don't think of you know you know an increasing linear challenges or something that like what is more after that. If that's what you're asking, um, I think that there's going to be quote unquote, a natural development, right? Like, I'm, I'm not sure if you can come up with a memory, right? When you were young and out there in the outback, I'm um, sorry, I just assume it's called, you know, yeah, Americans back. call it an outback, but you know <laughs> what I mean by that? <laughs> You're outback, meaning outback doors. Um, there, was, there was probably something that you did where, where you actually did think about it, where you're like, uh, oh, look at that, right? I haven't been to that area. I'm going to do a little bit more than what I did the last time. Right. And so that in itself is a small, simple example of my point that if you can if you can invoke this knowledge where the kid sees right through diverse situations, diverse, uh, you know, I guess, variety of situations, a variety of different challenges, it's all going to compound in growth over time where the, it'll be it'll be like a, a natural collective energy where all the kids will just end up challenging it further and further and further over time, which is why I, I hesitate, you know, I hesitate on recommending sport because sport has all these limitations that are inside of it and rules, right? But life doesn't have rules, right? Life has all this opening for nature and nature's development and evolution Etc. Evolution meaning in what your question is, how did they learn how to make it more challenging over time? How, and my my sense is that it will naturally occur, just like it did for you and I, right? Because we just we search out these various different things, and then we essentially see that it's just an improvement over time upon all the skills that we learned. And I use the little simple walking to a certain distance and then walking to a further distance as an example of that. And then you can just compound that with thousands of different examples, right? Um, I think about when, you know, um, my ba my backyard actually was this wooded area that I don't even, I'll have to think more about it where the perception came from, from fear uh, and darkness. But I remember thinking that, you know, at the end of the trail, um, it was, it was far more challenging, right? So my, my, in my head, I was like, I wonder what's going to happen when I get to the end of the trail, Right. Um, and I, I, that's, the, that's the point I'm making is that in nature with physical challenges and this like, you know, uh, feral kids concept, they will come up with various diverse situations that will improve things over time. When you bring it into the context of like a quote unquote supervised, you know, allotment of 90 minutes after school in a local area, yeah, we're going to have to get creative as to what's inside of that. Because you can just imagine how much infrastructure is going to be required so that a kid doesn't get, quote unquote, bored as shit with the same route, you know, mm -hmm. or the same thing every time. 
Um, and I'm not sure if people understood what I meant by sport creating limitations to that. Um, it's probably a conversation for another time. But. Yeah, no, that's a, it is a really tough challenge. Yeah. But I mean, that's, where, very... that's, you know, that's where we could, you know, bring in this artificial, uh, concept of resistance, right? You know, this is where, you know, lifting, I know to make it sound simple, but lifting more weight is an unbelievable progressive concept over time that uh, young people can do that gives them like, Jesus, 20 years of variety and variation that we haven't even discussed, right? I just, I just wanted to be purist with it, you know, be out in nature, do physical challenges. But what happens when you add some resistance to it? Now it gets quite interesting, right? Um, I still want to hesitate to say, oh, so are you saying that you should just have like powerlifting programs in local communities and that's going to end up help, helping physical resilience? Like, eh, I don't know. I'm not saying that, you know, but it's one option. It could be one it option. Is. If... Oh, it is. But I, I didn't want to discuss though that groups of people because of accessibility cost. You know, I want something that's going to that's going to back to the point of the kids that I'm discussing. Right. The ones that want to do it. And they have parents that don't want them to do it. I want those kids to be helped, right? I mm. want those kids to develop this independence and autonomy. I want all those kids by 18 giving a middle finger to the entire fitness universe and their parents and everyone by saying, I know how to physically challenge myself every day. I know how to eat properly. And I know how to think and, and not what to think, but how to think, right? I want an 18-year-old doing that. And the only way we're going to get to that is considering who's got it easy. And that would be the ones that I would say have the accessibility and the cost, you know, or the money to be able to be in part of a powerlifting program three times a week in their local community. But the reality is a lot of kids don't have that. And a lot of kids like you and I know don't have the Monday to Friday 90 minutes solution. They're in their school, right? And that's not coming back. So what are we going to do, right? Besides like, me holding up a poster outside of McDonald's or on the Capitol steps. I don't know. We got to come up with something that's an after school, 90 minute quote unquote community, uh, nature, <laughs> nature. Uh, I don't know what we're going to call it. You know, maybe you and I can come up with a cool thing that, uh, some group picks up. Yeah. I mean, in Arizona is there, that doesn't exist on any level either, like in the more outdoorsy kind of cities as well. So all, all the all the land grabs now are for uh, uh, minor sport programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and pickables, <laughs> and e-bike e-bike routes. All shit that's easier. Whatever is yeah. easier, that's what they'll that's what they'll dedicate you know energy and time to. Yeah, and the whole concept is is kind of tied to that same notion. It's like teaching kids how to. I guess, go and explore that edge of the map that they're a little bit unsure about. They don't know how to navigate. They don't want, don't know what's coming. And then you give them, they expose, they get exposed to that. They realize that they can navigate. You've just blown up their worlds in a whole new way. Uh, and that develops that curiosity to want to, you know, go a little bit further that de develops that independence. And then it develops that confidence, which I think is one of the most key ingredients Definitely. Once you've got that curiosity to go and explore and learn, and then you have the confidence to know like, yep, yeah, I might not get this on the first go, but I'll be able to figure it out. Then yeah. it's like, once you've got, if you've given someone that innately, then those kids are going to thrive. Yeah. It's an unbelievable gift. And again, I'll be pessimistic on it. I just think there's a lot of adults that prevent kids from experiencing that. Mm. Uh, it just, they just thwart it. They, uh, for like you said, a honest concept of fear. Uh, their perception of it but i think there is some dark areas in there they just don't want them to progress for some weird reason and uh i don't know what that would be yeah well i'll definitely put the article in the show notes because i think it's definitely yeah. worth you know parents policy policymakers and professionals to read it and just reflect on i guess how does it resonate to you like what what message kind of pops out and and based off the context of this discussion you know like weigh in you know like if you have a, a different opinion if you have a different perspective if uh would love to kind of get a bit more engagement and just see how other people are perceiving you know some of the things that we discuss and some of the resources we share um and how it hits with with you personally so it would definitely encourage a, a reflective exercise based off of the content 
in the article because I think it's yeah again having having spent a bit of time with nieces and nephews and just kind of observing that in I guess bigger urban environments you can see how it definitely plays into how kids perceive going out and playing and and how parents engage with the kids and the other parents to then influence like how the kid plays or how confident they are to engage with other kids or try new things or i think it's it's a really interesting dynamic yeah 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 the uh um yeah the just so we don't forget i mean i we didn't spend a lot of time on or i'll just mention that the reason why i don't spend a lot of time on the pros of it um is that i don't think anything gets done and nothing has gotten done by people just focusing on all the pros so uh meaning pros meaning the positive things that come with unsupervised play for young people right um if it's not obvious to people uh that's that's a big problem and uh whenever i've seen quote unquote people just non-stop go after all the positive things with super unsupervised play and all the benefits quote unquote of play um nothing gets done socially nothing gets done publicly nothing gets like steps that are made for it we just kind of sit back and listen to all the happy stories. We do all this research on resilience. Um, and then we end up, you know, providing Wagovi or, um, you know, antidepressants to young kids. That's 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 where we end up, right? Always it's, it's like a, well, what's the positives of unsupervised play? Are you honestly asking that question, right? Oh, we really need to come up with the positives before we provide some like social solutions to that. No. No, that should be obvious to you as a human. So that's why I don't spend a lot of time on the pros, just in case anyone's like, well, I wouldn't really like you see you lay out the pros and the cons and kind of put them against one another. No, this is 2024, but 40 years inside of this and nothing has happened. So let's instead talk about why can't we get this thing and these ideas up and going? That's where I want to spend a lot of, I should say personally, that's where I want to spend a lot of the time. So there's going to be one parent or a, or a professional or someone out there listening, they're like, yeah, that's a long hill to, to climb up, right? And guess, the, guess what decision they make? Well, when they become a parent, they think about these things. Or when they're with their niece and, niece and nephew, they're like, hmm, interesting. Let's try to create a little bit of a physical challenge in nature atmosphere and see what develops from it. I want that to happen. And it'll start with those little tiny pieces. So that's why I didn't, well, me anyways, I don't like spending time on the pros of all the positive things of resilience and, you know, all the things that uh, can come from that. I just wanted to mm -hmm. you know, make mention of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely an interesting topic. And um, this year, probably putting more thought, proactive thought around what those after school programs might look like. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate uh, uh, you, you and I spending the time of thinking about that today because I don't know about you, but I really did like I closed the book on the 90 minute thing for school and what it should look like. I was like, listen, <laughs> that's the idea. If you implement it, it'll be fantastic. So good luck with that. Right. But mm -hmm. but I but I am excited about the idea of, well, what happens if it's uh, an unrealistic situation in a community? Right. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it is for this kid who is a single parent, does have a single parent. Or this is a kid who's amongst, they're one of five siblings, right? See, there's so many situations. They're a kid in Manhattan. There's so many situations where we can go, yeah, well, how is that going to work for everyone? And what would that look like? And I think we can come up with it and it won't be sport and it won't be rehab. Um, and it won't be medication. It won't be video games. It won't be makeup tutorials. It'll be something in physical challenges in nature. And uh, so I'm happy to continue to... Uh, think about that and try to come up with it. Yeah. One idea in my, that comes to my mind is just like a after school, you know, pack march or bike ride where someone takes you around to, yeah. you know, local producers or local playgrounds or different things that maybe kids didn't even know existed oh, in their yeah. neighborhood. And yeah. you walk between the two, maybe you do a little activity, maybe you get a little afternoon snack at one of the local yeah. producers. Maybe you learn about where, you know, food is being sourced for this and maybe a really popular, you know, after school restaurant or maybe, a, you know, then a park, then a, so it's, it's unlocking some of the 
parts of their neighborhoods that they didn't know. It introduces them to new people in those communities that they're probably going to engage with more frequently as they get older. They understand a little bit how the community works and operates. I feel more part of it. Yeah, I like it. What I got on your creative, in, you know, inspiration there was um, trying to think about ways that will unconsciously involve something that young kids would see as like being worthy, right? Um, and w- what young kids today, I really do think that that younger generation, if I was to like pick out the, let's call it the 10 to 16 years of age today, um, I've said this numerous times on different podcasts. I really do think that that generation is going to be extremely innovative and positive for our future. Uh, There's something about that generation that a lot of adults do not see them correctly. They don't, there's a lot of, you know, darker lights shed on that young generation, but there's something deeply mature about that generation. That's going to result in what I think, what you just came up with something that's innovative that unconsciously involves physical challenges in nature that does good for your community. I think this, this young generation do think about those things, right? And they, maybe it will be a, a, a movement back into some things that are, dare I say, more traditional in nature uh, based upon what that looks like. And you just hit upon a couple of them, um, you know, like local sourcing of foods, doing stuff, quote unquote, for your community. And what does that look like? Um, so I really like that. That's got the inspiration, uh, going based upon that. Thanks. Bookmark that for a expansion on a future episode. Yes. Yes. Well, let's, uh, step away from it for a number of months and come back and maybe have a proposal as to what that looks like. Done. Awesome. Awesome, James. Thank you again, mate. Happy new year. Good to kick it off.